Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. So our reading today is taken from Matthew 13. It says this, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell upon along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky, rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is God's word. Uh, we're in a series, if you're just joining us. Or uh, if you just need reminders like me, because I forget everything that basically happened in the last few days. I don't know if that's happening more with my age. But anyways, we're in a series called Life and Purpose. And the premise that Dave and I have been talking to you about is what would it look like to enter this year and actually come to the end of this year and not have just done some stuff, but become really the people that we want to be. And we've sort of been promising this thing, and maybe you've been coming going, hey, when are you going to deliver it? Is it? Okay. All right. How's that? Yes? All right. <laughs> but if you're trying to figure out what your purpose is, you sort of, sort of need to know, well, what, what were we made to do? If I brought up a four-slice toaster in front of us here, we'd say, well, what is the purpose of this toaster? It's pretty obvious, right? Take bread, toast it. In our house, we try to do other things with it. It doesn't work. Like, put stuff on top because you don't have a toaster. It's a bad idea. It's only built for that thing. So you really need to know, okay, well, what, what was I built for as a human being? I was reading uh, an article this week about the fact that um, in the food chain, human beings are called tertiary consumers. Okay, so actually another name for that is apex predator, which is like a way cooler tattoo than tertiary, you know, consumer. But anyways, whatever you decide. Um, primary consumers are organisms and animals and stuff that eat plants, okay? Secondary consumers are animals that eat animals that eat plants, and we are tertiary 
consumers. We eat animals that eat animals that eat plants. Now, some of you are vegans. That means we eat tofu that eats grass, okay? So whatever it is for you. Um, but essentially, we are consumers. And the article goes on to say, humans play a very important purpose in the ecosystem. I'm like, oh, what's this? Well, it balances the ecosystem as, cons as humans continue to consume, which essentially means that we're, our role is consumers. Now, I worked in an industry before being a pastoral minister where we actually called people consumers. It was marketing. That's what we called them because that's what they did, and we needed them to do that in order for our company to keep growing in order for us to get paid. And you may understand, aside from the food ecosystem, there's a consumer ecosystem in a capitalistic society that has to work, right? So you and I have a job, hopefully, or we get money from people who have jobs. I'm not judging, I'm just saying. Um, and we go and buy consumer electronics, and those consumer electronics are coming out of Silicon Valley or wherever, um, and they're producing those, but the P there's, they pay people to produce those things, and those people take the money they get paid to produce the consumer electronics that you bought with your money, and they go buy cereal. And so that the cereal manufacturers can keep employing the people that they employ to make the cereal, and you see how it goes? And so everybody needs to keep consuming in order for the economy to work. That's how capitalism works. And so even if we're not thinking about the food ecosystem, if we just think about life, in a sense, we are consumers. It blew my mind actually thinking about it this year. Um, somehow, like, as Canadians, we really love celebrating American Thanksgiving, like, whatever that is, like, Black Monday. It's like, oh, what? There's a, like, weekend? Okay, great. And it used to be Black, like, Cyber Monday, but then Cyber Monday moved to Cyber Thursday. So then it was, like, Cyber Thursday, Cyber Friday, and it's, like, Cyber every day. And then, like, the sales keep on going. And then all of a sudden, we're into Christmas, and then people are consuming, 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 consuming up until December 25th when you can't consume anymore because nobody works. <gasps> Deep breath, December 26th, boom, hit it again, and keep on going. And even if you miss December 26th to December 31st, that's okay. You can come back January 2nd and keep on going. And the Boxing Day sales, even though it's not Boxing Day, continues on. It is an endless consumer cycle, and so it's very easy to think that our purpose in life is to consume. In fact, if we say, hey, you know, if somebody told you, hey, you should work hard at school, and you said, why? What's the answer? So you can get a good job. And a good job means one that pays well. Why do you want to be able to pay well? So you can afford a house, a car, food on the table, right? And so ultimately, even the highest value of education is basically so that we can have the financial freedom to continue to buy the things that people went to school to study how to make so they could sell it to you after. It's almost inescapable, this identity as consumers. And so when we come into this question of purpose, what is my purpose in life? We actually have to stop and say, oh, is that all? Now, religion's answer to this is shame on you. Jesus is the reason for the season, not Christmas presents, right? Sorry if you wore one of those buttons or whatever. I'm just saying, like, the, the religion and the church has sort of wagged its finger at people and said, shame on you for being so greedy, and you should just want less. And so we have this whole minimalist movement going on or whatever. But then still, we sort of have to go, what, is that our purpose in life, to just not do stuff, to not buy stuff? Like, that can't be a purpose, to not do something. What is our purpose in life? And interestingly, Jesus comes to us with a statement on purpose that is so different than maybe what religion would say or what our culture says in terms of being consumers or not being consumers. And he uses this word that he uses repeatedly, and the scriptures say he actually used it over and over and over again everywhere he went. It's the word kingdom. 
And this is one of the words, actually, we're saying is the most important word when it comes to purpose. It's the most important word when it comes to understanding Jesus. Now, how many of you grew up in, like, a church or a Christian home? Just put your hands up, hands up, hands up, nice and high. Okay, I did too, okay? What I heard growing up, and not necessarily from my parents, but from the culture of Christianity that I grew up in was, here's the gospel, here's the good news. You're a sinner. Jesus came to die. If you believe in him, he will forgive your sins, and you will go to heaven one day. That was the good news. How many of us say, yeah, pretty much what I heard, in some version, okay? I would almost guarantee you, nobody said the word kingdom to you. If they did, it was kingdom of heaven, which referred to that someday, one day, streets of gold place, you'd go when you die. Nobody said the word kingdom to you, did they? What? Not to me. I just read it. And you know what? If you, if you read the biographies of Jesus, and what Jesus said was the good news, you'll find the words save and salvation about 30, uh, 45 times. You'll find the word kingdom 123 times. Half the times you hear the word saved, it's referred to people as someone who's sick or about to die saying, save me which is what you say when you think you're going to die, right? The disciples in the boat, save us. The blind men, Jesus, save us. So half the time it was referring to healings. It wasn't even referring to this thing we call Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and if we believe in him, whatever that means, because demons believe in Jesus too. So whatever that means, I'm going to heaven one day when I die. That is not, you'll find talks about salvation, words about salvation and sin, but what you'll find way more from the mouth of Jesus is this word kingdom. And so if we're going to end associated with good news. It's not that salvation isn't real. It's that it finds itself in this language of the kingdom that's even bigger than most of us have ever heard at all. And Jesus actually called it the gospel. That's where we get the word good news, the gospel of the kingdom. This is the language you will hear Jesus saying more than anything else. And in it is actually this picture of what it means to live a life on purpose. And as he began to teach about the kingdom over and over, they were starting to realize this changes everything. This isn't, I'm saved, I'm just waiting around twiddling my thumbs. Like, this is sort of what I thought growing up, and maybe I'm the only one. Okay, I'm saved, so I'm going to heaven one day, so now I'm just going to kind of wait around, try to be a good person, live my life, and try not to sin anymore. That's my goal in life. That's all I'm doing in life. And the rest of life has to do with just trying to be good. As Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom, he's using language that makes them realize, wait, this changes everything. Yes, it changes the future, but it changes the present radically. This actually is going to change my whole life. So he begins to go everywhere and tell people this. And we come to the point in Matthew's biography in, Ma in Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus has been teaching this stuff and he starts to tell them a parable, which is a, a fictitious story. It's a word picture in a sense to try to help them understand what the kingdom is about. He says this, then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Most of them were farmers or they worked on farms or whatever, so this would have been common sort of uh, a word picture for them. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places. This is in scenario number two. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Scenario number three, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Scenario number four, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then in verse 18, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means when anyone hears the message about the kingdom. So what this parable is giving us a word picture of is this message that I've been preaching about the kingdom is something that you are meant to take in like soil takes in seed. The picture Jesus gives is of a farmer scattering seed everywhere. Now, good farmers would have gone, this is a dumb farmer. He's throwing stuff on the ground. He's throwing stuff in bad places. Why doesn't he throw it in good soil? But it's a picture of what Jesus has been doing for the last 12 chapters, which is saying the kingdom's for everyone. This isn't just for religious people. This isn't just for people who think they're important. This isn't just for old people. This isn't just for young people. This isn't just for men. This isn't just for women. This is for everyone. This picture of, of the farmer scattering seed was this picture of Jesus saying the kingdom is for everyone and anyone who's paying attention needs to listen up. And this idea that says whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This hearing is not about, oh, I heard what you said, as in I can repeat the words back to you which my children are really good at. Did you hear me? Yes, you said ba 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 ba. What I'm knowing is, did it penetrate your heart, right? Did the fact that I'm asking you to clean your room, did it enter into your heart such that you are now moving towards your room to clean it up with joy, right? <laughs> this is what he's saying. Did you, whoever has ears to hear, and, and the analogy Jesus uses is the kingdom is this seed. It's something living. It's small. It maybe seems insignificant. It maybe seems at times a bit hard to understand. He said, but, if, but there is soil that if it grabs it, right, it's meant to actually enter in. And so this is what has been happening with Jesus and the kingdom. He's been going everyone, everywhere telling everyone stuff. And here's what's happened, okay, so far, if you read the Gospels. And if, you, if you've never read this book before, you can go on our website, upperroom.ca. There's a blog, that, a weekly blog that helps you understand because you need help understanding Scripture because it was written thousands and thousands of years ago in, in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and it's been translated into English, and it's a, it's a world away from us. And when you read a book that's 150 years old, you need a little bit of help with some of the words, right? This is thousands of years old. You need help, okay? That's why we come to church. That's why we teach. That's why we talk to each other. That's why you have home groups. That's why we blog about this. So you can be reading it. And what you will read is this. As Jesus begins to walk around teaching, people are saying, we've never heard anyone talk like this. Like we've never heard ideas about God that make our hearts explode. We've never heard people talk about God in a way that we would think God is for us and not against us, that we would actually want to know and love God. We've never heard anyone talk about the way to live in such a liberating way, not like an oppressive religious law that lays a weight on us that we can't carry. They said, this guy teaches like nobody else. They also saw him do things, and as Dave said last week, not just the things he did, healing miracles and casting out demons, who he did it for. He didn't do it for the rich people. He didn't do it for the religiously upright. He did it for anyone who had need. He broke all of the social boundaries and barriers of what people you should and shouldn't hang out with. So they watched that too. They had heard him. They had seen him. And they had met this man that was like no one they had ever known. And Jesus said, this is the kingdom. What I talk about, what I do, and who I am. And it's for everyone. This was what the gospel, the message. He says, this is, this is good news. And he goes on to say, here's what happens 
when the kingdom comes into someone's heart, when someone actually hears, as in hears, as in goes into their heart and begins to change their whole way of thinking. He says, look, Matthew 13, 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. That word understand, if you want to translate this, that word receive. The re- it's not a, I, I comprehended, I received it. The kingdom was sent out, I grabbed it, I received it, I took it. Whoever hears and understands, this is what happens. This is the one who produces a crop that yields 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is what happens when you get the kingdom into your life. Jesus says you begin to grow and you multiply something and you produce something. You're not a consumer. You produce something. You multiply something. What, is a, what does a plant do when it multiplies crops? It's giving something good to everyone else around it. Right? Jesus said, this is, this is the thing. This is what happens with the kingdom. When the kingdom comes into your life, you are rescued from being a consumer, and you become someone alive that produces something good for the rest of the world. He says, this is what happens when you take the kingdom into your life. It is multiplied into the lives of other people. In a very real way, Jesus was saying, you know, in other words, when he said the kingdom is here, he was saying, I, I am the kingdom. I am good news. And when you take me into the center of your life, I begin to change you from the inside out. I rescue you from being a consumer who just needs more and gets more and whatever to actually become someone who produces life for those around you. This is exactly what Jesus had been doing. They had been watching him do it. And he said, listen, this isn't just about me and my life. If you take me into the center of your life, you'll become more like me. You will become more like me. You will become a life that is multiplied this way in your relationship with God and this way in your relationship with others, right? What was the kingdom that marked Jesus' life? What was the thing that marked his life the most? What is the kingdom? What is the contribution that Jesus has made even for people, Right? who would say, well, I don't know if he was God, and I'm not sure about everything, but there are people today who would say, Jesus is the most remarkable man who ever walked the face of the earth. He ends up on Time Magazine every time they do, man of the year, person of the century, whatever. Nobody has changed the course of history like this life, the kingdom. This is who he has become. Because he talked about God in ways people had never heard. He seemed to have a relationship with God and called God Father, not just Creator. And the way he related to everyone Men, women, and children, if you go anywhere in the world, anywhere that the Jesus movement has been, women and children have equal rights. You think it's by accident that we live in a country where labor laws and like employment standards and equality of pay that we are pursuing and the value of children, do you think that's just, oh, human beings came up with it? Human beings didn't come up with that. Human beings come up with oppression and slavery and hierarchy. If you go to any place that the gospel of Jesus Christ has been for any time, you will see relationships changed. Jesus says, that's what the kingdom is about. If you take it into your life, that's that's what gets multiplied in the lives of people around you. He makes us, in a sense, the kingdom. When you take it into your life, you begin to have a healthy, beautiful relationship with God, right? And so many people have an unhealthy, ugly relationship with God, distortion, ideas about who God is, living in fear of Him, living in distance from Him, 
not knowing how to communicate with him. Jesus says, if you take me into the center of your life, I will give you a healthy, beautiful relationship with God, and I will change every relationship you have in your life. I will teach you how to live the good and beautiful life with other people. The kingdom takes people and a relationship with God, and it values it over the goods we consume so that our lives are not defined by being consumers anymore. We are people who produce something good for the world, who live in a beautiful relationship with God and relationship with other people. This is your purpose in life. Really, the only thing you're meant to consume is Christ. That the more you take Christ into your life, the more you understand it, the more you get it, the more the kingdom begins to change your heart, you begin to change, and it changes everything. It changes the way you see your money, it changes the way you see sex, it changes the way you see other people, it changes the way you see conflict, it changes the way you see your enemies, it changes the way you see your family. Sounds great, right? Only problem is, Jesus said, 75% of the time, it doesn't happen. This was the good soil. He said, but there's seeds scattered everywhere. But he said, sometimes this stuff happens. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, does not take it into the center of their lives, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, what word? The kingdom. Because of the kingdom, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. There's a word up there that says in the first paragraph, and snatches away what was sown in their heart. What is the heart? The heart is like the seat of power in your life right, is where it is everything significant, what you feel, what you think, who you are as a person. This is what the Bible means when it says the heart, the center of who we are. He says, look, there's some people that the word, the, the kingdom is given to everyone. It's not a select few. It's offered to everyone. But there are some people, he said, their hearts are hard. Their lives have been trampled on. What a path. What happens to a path that gets walked over, right? There are people who have been beat up. And he said, the enemy, the evil one, comes and steals the seed away. And you're like, wait, what? There's an evil one working against the kingdom? Yes, there is. We're going to actually, the next series we're doing is called Liar, Liar. And it's all about the lies that the enemy tells us to keep us from receiving the kingdom. Because that's what he does. He lies to us. We're not going to deal with that today. We're going to deal with these other two scenarios. One of them, he says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. So this is someone who looks at the good and beautiful life that Jesus offers us, relationship with God, relationship with others, and says, yes, I want that. I'm excited about that. And he said, they take it in, but they have no root. They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution come because of the kingdom, they fall away. You know what that response is to the word? This is too hard. This is too hard. Jesus said, look, the kingdom will come into your life and you will have challenges and you will have difficulty and you will be tempted to say, I can't do this. It's too hard. When persecution or hardship come, it is hard to love your enemies. 
When you are faced with people that you want to get revenge at, that you want to hold a grudge to, that you want to speak out, that you want to say something to, the kingdom that says love your enemies and bless those who persecute you is hard, and you will be tempted to say, I cannot do it. This is too hard. Some of you are trying to pursue Jesus in your life, but nobody else in your life is. Not your friends, not your family, not your spouse, or whoever, whatever your situation, it's hard to pursue the kingdom alone when other people are going... What's that? Why are you wasting your time with that? That's persecution because of the kingdom. It's hard to allow yourself to see your money, the resources that you've been given as a tool to bless other people. It's hard to be generous. It's hard to give. There's a cost that comes. Jesus says there's hardship because of the kingdom. If you are going to choose to see your money and your life as something to be used in the service of others, you will be tempted to give up. It's too hard. If you're going to see your life as someone who's meant to tell other people about Jesus, about what he has done to you, and you risk someone going, thanks, but no thanks. I don't need that. You're dumb. Checked your brain at the door. Faith doesn't require any intellect, blah, 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 whatever the narrative is. That's hard. It makes you want to quit. Maybe some of us even came in this morning feeling like, I don't know if I can do this. This is too hard. Some of you in your school or in your work environment, it's toxic. And you're like feeling like, I got to get out of this. I got to change. Something's got to give. I don't know what to do. It's hard to see the place that you are as a place you've been sent into. And Jesus says, the kingdom can go. You can grow anywhere in those places. It's too hard. Sometimes you say, I don't want to do it. And then the other soil says the seed among thorns refers to someone who hears the word. Well, you can go. Yeah. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Someone said once, we are a third soil culture because we have wealth. This is the I'm too busy. This is what's interesting about this. It's not the, the kingdom's not, not growing in the soil. It is growing. There's just other stuff growing with it. The kingdom is growing. God coming into your life, Jesus beginning to change how you think and how you feel and starting to change the way you respond to God and the way you respond to the people around you. And yet alongside that growth, Jesus says there's other stuff growing that choke out the kingdom, making it unfruitful. In other words, you do not produce what can bless the world. The kingdom does not multiply itself in you because there are other things growing and choking it out. What are those other things? The worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. The worries of life, meaning just the stuff of life, the day in, day out, grind and rhythm of life work against the kingdom. But secondly, the deceitfulness of wealth. I mean, what do you mean the deceitfulness of wealth? Well, wealth lies to us. Money isn't bad. But we can believe a lot of lies about money. All I need is a bit more. I told you this before, right? They took a survey, surveyed people who made $20,000 up to $200,000, everything in between, and they asked them one question. How much more do you need to be good? Do you know what the average answer was? Double. Doesn't matter how much you make. All I need is a bit more. 
is a lie. And that lie keeps our economy going. All I need is a bit more. Wealth also, also lies to us because it says this is going to make you happy. The more money you have, the happier you will be. And yet some of you have subscriptions to magazines to read the miserable lives of people who have a lot of money. It hasn't made them happy. It's a lie. The more I have, the happier I will be. But Jesus says those lies, if you believe them, will keep you moving in a rhythm day in, day out, day in, day out, that will choke out the kingdom because you say, I'm too busy for that. This is a question of values. What do you value? Now, if, I, if we did a little survey and I gave you all a piece of paper and I said, write down the 10 things that you value in life, I bet you we would have very similar lists. Like we'd compare them all at the end of the day. Okay, I value my family, my friends. I value, you know, sort of trying to work hard, maybe get, have a stable job. I value kind of financial stability. I value my faith. You know, I value people in church. I value one, trying to give back to the world around me. I value just having some, you know, leisure and not like vacation and seeing the world. And we list all those things. But you know what we rarely do? Is take that list and say, okay, how much time is required for each of these things to become a reality? And which ones am I going to prioritize? Because Jesus says, you know what? It's prioritizing itself for you. The worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth will automatically choke out the kingdom unless you do something different. See, you and I do not have enough time to prioritize all of the things that we say we value. And you can say you value something, but all you need to do is an audit of your life and an audit of your time to find out what you really value. See, somebody could watch you, and without ever hearing anything you say, they could write down at the end of a month, what does this person value? Because nobody lives inconsistently with their values. We all do and pursue what matters most to us. And Jesus says, if you live in a culture of wealth, which all of us do, this is the reality of your life. The kingdom will be growing, but other things will be growing beside it, determining to choke it out. The busyness of life will kill relationship with God and relationship with each other. It's not that your job isn't important. It's not that your family isn't important. It's not that working out or whatever isn't important. Jesus said, but the kingdom changes how you see all those things. Is your job merely a means to get money so that you can consume? Now, the millennial generation looks at the previous generation and say, bah, you guys were so empty. All you wanted from a job was a money. I want fulfillment. I want to feel like this is for me, like I'm doing, I'm living my best self. It's still about you. Whether it's money or fulfillment, ultimately we can still see our job, our workplace, our school, everything, as in this is about me, this is what I need. Am I getting what I need from this? And if I'm not getting what I need from it anymore, I'm going to move on. We actually think about relationships that way. We think about work that way. We think about school that way. We think about friends that way. Is this getting what I need? If I'm not getting what I need from it, I'm going to move on because I'm a consumer. It isn't about 
quitting your job or changing schools or this and that. It's actually about saying, this is a place the kingdom can grow. This is not a place I'm meant to continue to be a consumer. I'm meant to produce something for the benefit of others who are in this place. That God wants to change how I think about the work that I do, how I think about the friendships I have. It's not about that prioritizing time with your family is bad. But what values are you building into your kids and your family as you spend time with them? Is it like, hey, we look after us and ours? Whoever's biologically related, that's who we're good with? But are we building into our kids and say, you know what, other people don't have the family that you have. Other people don't have the relationships that you have. What does it mean to make people who are not our family feel like they're family because the kingdom is growing here? It's reorienting our way of thinking what we do so that the kingdom can grow. And Jesus says, if you don't do that, by default, the values of wealth and consumption and the busyness of life will choke out what God is trying to do in your life. And we'll end up being people saying, I'd love to do that. I'm just too busy. So what do we do? Well, maybe you're someone who's in that I'm too hard place in life. I ended up uh, at, at home group this week. It was just me and one other person in my home group. Everybody else canceled and we we're going to do a guy's night and then a couple of the guys canceled. It was just me and another dude. And we were hanging out, and we just started talking, and we had a conversation about this, where he said, man, I'm feeling like this is too hard. And we had this amazing two-hour conversation together. We prayed for each other. We talked about it. We commiserated together and said, yeah, it is hard to let the kingdom grow in your life. And so if you're someone who's saying, I'm in that place, I don't know, like, I don't know how my work or my school or my friends or my money or whatever, maybe there's just a particular earlier saying, this feels like it's choking out life in me and I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to live like Jesus wants me to live in this place. The most powerful thing you can do is just invite somebody else into that struggle. Say, can I talk with you about this? I'm struggling in this area. I don't know how to do this. I want to quit. I want to give up on this marriage. I want to give up on this job. I want to give up on pursuing Jesus. I don't know. I don't know if I see God anymore in this. It is hard to let the kingdom change your life. It is hard to have a marriage where Jesus is at the center. It is hard to have a sense of purpose in your job that isn't just about making money or being personally fulfilled. These are hard things. It's hard to live out the kingdom in a circle of friends where no one else cares or is interested in the values and the ways of Jesus. And so you need help. You have to grab someone and say, I'm not doing well. Can you help me? So for some of you that are in that place, that's what your home groups are for. If you're not in a home group, that's the purpose of getting into one. But that's what it means to be the family, that we can grab someone else after church today. And even if we're expecting to talk about the weather, what did you do this week or what are you going today, that you can be honest and just say, you know what, we don't have to talk about it now, but I'm in a hard place. Can we meet up this week? That's what it means to be the family. Now what about some of you, maybe all of us, who are in this boat saying, I'm too busy. I have values that are competing with each other. What do I need to say in all caps, no to, in order to create space for growing relationships? We are a generation that says no to nothing. We say yes to everything. Oh, I think I can probably add that in. Oh, I'll do a little bit of that. We dabble in all kinds of things. We are deeply committed to almost nothing. 
And all I know is in my life, the only way to actually create space for God was to say a huge no to something that we were doing to get it out of my life, to actually create space. For our family last summer, that was rep sports. Our oldest son was playing AAA baseball, and he had played it for three years. And it got to the point where we were never eating dinner together in the summer. Um, we were spending, I was spending hours and hours in towns I never wanted to visit. <laughs> and I'd try to make the most of it, like he's got to be there. And people say, oh, you're spending time with your kids. I'm like, not really. I have 20 minutes on the drive there, and then there, I'm watching them for three hours. I'm not with them. And on the drive home, we can't talk because we can't talk about what just happened, because that's the one thing they say, don't talk about the game after the game, you know. <laughs> And we weren't seeing each other. My wife and I, we were sort of passing and back and forth. And in a sense, we were seeing in our own kid, like, the value of, like, oh, it means more if you, if you play a rep sport than if you play house league or if you play anything at all. And it's not that they're bad. We love sports. Jen and I grew up playing that our whole lives. We just knew it was getting to the point where it was choking out other things. And so we said in all caps, no to this. And we were not popular parents. I'm not sure if we've recovered yet. But last summer, we had dinner together almost every night. And most of my son's friends who live in the neighborhood don't play organized sports. So they were over at our house and in our backyard almost every day. I got to know his friends. Our house was like full of activity again. And it was stuff. And some of them are friends who their dad works in Afghanistan. He's not around. He works, comes home two or three weeks a year. This kid my son's age doesn't have a dad. And we just saw what that changed in our lives. And it was interesting. We ran into his coach in the summer, and so we left there, and I said, hey, does it bug you still that you don't play anymore? He said, yeah. I said, but don't you love that we ate dinner together this summer? He said, yeah, I do. It is not easy. I just know what grew, what began to grow in our lives. And that was a big no. Like, I, you know, whatever. If you don't live in that world, you're like, big deal. But if you live in that world, you know. That's a big no. That's a big thing to say no to. Some of you are not going to be able to create space for God with a lowercase no. That's why I said all caps. Something little that t- takes you a half an hour a week that you cut out is going to make no difference in your life. You're just going to fill the space with something else. It's something that you're spending hours and hours doing that maybe you have to say, is this worth my time? And what else could be happening in my life if I created space for it? I don't know what that is for you. And I'm not telling you it should be what ours was. I just know it was a journey we went on that made a huge difference in our lives. And so if you're in that place, and maybe you're not, but if you're in that place going, I I can't, I can't actually have time to be with God. I don't have time to invest in relationships with people. I don't have time to actually pay attention when I ask someone how they're doing. I remind my neighbor, I'm hoping it's not a long answer because I don't actually have the time. I don't actually want to know how they're doing, really. And yet most people live lives of quiet desperation, 20 feet from each other, and we have no idea. What would it take for you to create space in your life to let the kingdom grow? You know, maybe you get up early in the morning, you work out five times a week. There's nothing wrong with that. But maybe you could cut out two of those workouts to spend a little more time working out your heart with the kingdom. We live in a culture of fit bodies and fat minds and empty hearts. So what would it take to say a little no or a big no to that and yes to something else? I don't know what it is for you, but I know it will be difficult. But here's what I know. 
you'll be glad you did. And you won't know it till you get to the other side. Suddenly you start to see things grow in your heart. Suddenly you start to find, I push through. I'm so glad I grabbed that other person and said, I am not doing well. I'm so glad we had a family meeting or I talked with my friend or I talked to my spouse or I talked with my parents and I said, I think this is the thing I need to change. Jesus always invites us to do stuff not out of obedience to God, but out of the joy that will come into your life when we say yes. God doesn't need anything from you, but he wants life for you. So I know most of the time as a pastor, we comfort the disturbed. Today, I disturbed the comfortable. I'm just doing my job, just inviting you in to my discomfort as well <laughs> as I try to wrestle this through. Can I pray for you? And the worship team's gonna lead us in response. Jesus, we, we sing that song about loving you, and, and we do, but we also know that's just hard. I pray for those in this room who are not doing well, who are finding it really hard to see the kingdom and the values of Jesus actually grow in their lives. I pray that they would be able to find someone that they can grab onto and say, can you help me? Can we talk? Can you pray for me? I don't know how to push through this. And for all of us, Lord, who are having to hold at bay this constant pressure to be busy, to say yes, to have the goods in our lives really consuming us. It's just the world we live in. Help us to make the hard decisions to say, if I really say I value this, I need to make a change. Thank you that the things that you invite us to do are not because you need them from us, but because you want things for us. Father God, we sang already that you are a good good father. And so help us to trust, to trust you as we take steps of faith. In your name, amen.